So Psalm chapter 63. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word that you have given to us. I thank you that we have the time tonight as a church to walk through your word, to walk through this passage. I pray that this would be helpful, that I would speak your truth. I pray that those who sit here would listen. I pray that we, as the deer, Pants for the water would thirst for you. Please stir our affections towards you. Guide our hearts and minds to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to start off by telling you a secret. This is going to be something profound, deep, dramatic even, I don't know. You've probably never realized this before. But here it is. Kids like toys. I bet you never thought of that, but it's true. Actually, I, now that I think about it, probably most of you have thought of it. Probably most of you know that. Kids really like toys, but actually more, they, they don't just like the toys they have. They like more toys. I don't know if you've noticed that either, but you can give them however many toys you want or they want for Christmas. If you offer them another one a week later, they're probably going to want it. But they're not just content to wait until you offer it. Are they? They often ask for it. Like, oh, I saw that toy in the store the other day. We really should have this toy, don't you think? Or, hey, this friend of mine has this toy. I really think we should get this one. Maybe they have a lot of toys. Maybe they just have a few. But they like them and they want more of it. And they're persistent in wanting more. And actually, that's the attitude that we need to have. Not towards toys, necessarily, not even towards money or things, but that's the attitude that we need to have towards God. Excuse me, towards God. As kids have toys, they always want more. Actually, David says that we, as believers, as children of God, should always want more of God. And that's what we're going to spend our time looking at this evening. We're going to look at a desire for God, as seen in the first four verses of this psalm. 
So first, as David unpacks this desire for God, he really starts there. He starts with a deep yearning for God. So let's look at the first verse. He says, O God, you are my God. This is who the psalm is addressed to. He says it's to God, essentially. And it's easy to just look at that and say, okay, this is to God. Now let's see what he says. Let's take a moment and ponder about who he's writing to. Because that's important to think about. He's talking to God in this psalm. This isn't one of the useless idols that doesn't answer. This isn't some weak God. This is the God. David is writing and he's addressing, he's praying to the Creator. The one who made all things. The omnipotent God of the universe. The one who sustains the world in his very hands. He's speaking to Yahweh, to I am, to the self-existent one. The one who transcends space and time. And he says, oh God, you are my God. And that phrase means so much when we put it in that context. Something small, it's not that big of a deal to say it's mine, right? But when we call God, the great God of the universe, our God, that's what David does in this psalm. He says, this great God You're my God. It's personal. It's intimate. It's relational. This isn't somebody else's God. This isn't just some aloof God who stands back and watches things. It's not like deism where God just sets the world in motion and leaves it to go. Hope things work out for you down there. This is a personal, intimate relationship with God. And that is the very foundation for this psalm. You can't desire someone, you can't desire God more if you don't know him. It has to start with a personal relationship with God. It has to start with salvation. And then look at what he says about his desire for God. Skip down, skip a line and go to my soul thirsts for you. I think we've all experienced thirst before, at least If you're human, I would assume you have. We all know what it's like to want water. What it's like to experience that longing for something to just quench our thirst. And the longer we go without water, the more we want it. And often the hotter it is, the sweatier we are, the harder we've been working, the more we've been doing, the more we want water. Again, we've all experienced this. We've all experienced a thirst for water. But that's how David describes His desire for God. It's not just, I hope I get it. It's, I thirst for it. It's, my soul is longing for God. It's a deep desire. And again, look how much, look how great this desire is. Look at what he keeps saying. It's not just, my soul thirsts for you as I thirst for some water after lunch. It's not that. It's my soul thirst for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. We've all experienced the desire for water before. We've all experienced thirst. But have you ever experienced being in a land where there is no water and just wanting a drop of water to cool your parched tongue? I can't even imagine what that would be like. In a wilderness, there's no water. 
Nothing. He says it's a dry and thirsty land. Even the land itself is thirsty. The dirt even wants water. That's how dry it is. And David says, I'm in this dry and thirsty land and I want water. Some water to quench my thirst. It's deep. It's heartfelt. He can't do without this water. He cannot do without this. He needs it. And that is his desire for God. That is how much he longs for God. His soul is parched for God. Longing for more of him. And that's the attitude that we need to have. It's not simply wanting a little God after lunch. We need to be parched for God. We need to have this deep longing where we cannot do without God. We need to have this heartfelt, deep desire, yearning for God. Parents, we talked about kids earlier, so I'm going to use another children analogy. How would you feel if your child was content simply to be your child and did not want to know you more? If your child just stood there and said, yep, I'm your son, that's all I need, I'm good. No, I don't want to do something with you. No, I don't really want to spend time with you. I don't actually even want to talk to you. I'm just fine being your son. That's good enough. (laughs) That'd be really sad, right? We don't want our kids to act like that, but then we are the children that do that to God. We look at this, and humanly speaking, we see this and say, that is a sad relationship between a father and son, where the son doesn't even want to know the father. But then we, as sons and daughters of God, so often do that. We sit there and we say, I am God's son. I am part of this inheritance. I have the blessings of salvation, and that is enough for me. I'm good. I don't need to know God more. I've already got my ticket to heaven. How sad that is, that a child of God would not long to know him more. And we even need to cultivate this desire. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate a deeper desire for God? Well, first, there has to be the foundation there. If you're not saved, you're not going to desire God. If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior from sin, recognizing that you cannot do anything to save yourself, asking him to forgive you. If you haven't done that, you won't desire God. It just won't be there. You can't. If you're here tonight and that describes you, please talk to somebody. Don't talk to somebody tomorrow. Don't talk to somebody maybe next week, maybe on Sunday. Talk to somebody tonight. Even right now, grab somebody, go out, talk to them. This is important. But I think most of us here already know God. So how else do we cultivate this desire? Or how do we cultivate this desire? Well, one, I'd say repent of sin. Repent of sin quickly. If sin is both a result of not desiring God and a block to desiring God. When you are not repenting of sin, you're not going to be cultivating a desire for God. Not repenting of sin is saying, no, God, I don't care. 
And then trying to cultivate a desire for God is like, while, while you're not repenting of sin, is saying, no, God, I don't care, but I want to care. It just doesn't work. You need to repent of sin to have an intimate, close relationship with God. So deal with sin in your lives and deal with it quickly. Deal with it immediately so you can enjoy that intimacy with God. Then, read the word. Pray. Commune with God. It's not just about checking it off the list. It's about developing this relationship with God. It's about, again, cultivating this desire for God. Even when you don't feel like reading your Bible, even when you don't feel like praying, even when life gets busy, read your Bible and pray. Prioritize God. And that will, again, God will use that to cultivate that desire for him in your life. And in your prayers, pray for God to do that because you can't cultivate this desire by yourself. Left to ourselves, we would just go the opposite direction. Away from God, wandering away, not wanting anything to do with him. So as you pray, as you spend time with God, plead with him to cultivate this desire in you, to shape this desire in your heart, to shape your affections, to cause you to love God more. And yearning for God should naturally lead to the next part of this psalm. And that is seeking after God. And that's where David goes. Again, we look at that one line I skipped in verse 1 and then in verse 2. David says in verse 1, Early will I seek you. As David desires God, as David longs to know God more, he doesn't just let that desire sit there. He doesn't just let the desire stay there and say, Okay, I desire God, that's enough. He acts on that desire. He has this deep desire to know God, and he acts on it. And he tells God, hey, I'm going to act on this. He says, early will I seek you. And this automatically means if you don't do your Bible reading in the morning, you probably don't desire God. (laughs) Just kidding. He's saying, early will I seek you, because that's his priority. He's saying, God, I want to make the time for you. And that doesn't mean you have to make the time in the morning. We have different schedules. Most of us aren't running away from Saul in the wilderness, so the morning doesn't necessarily work the best for us. So if the morning works best for you, if that's the time that you set aside to prioritize God, set the time aside in the morning. If the evening works best for you, if that's when you can have the deepest communion with God, have the most time, prioritize him the most, then do the evening. The time specifically isn't the point. The point is that David is acting on this desire and he's making it top of the priority list, top of the to-do list. If I'm going to do one thing today, it is going to be to seek God. If I'm going to do one thing today, it is going to be shaping my life around my desire for God, around my relationship with God. That's what David is doing. It is so important to him that he will wake up early, which is hard enough in its own right, He will make it a priority to wake up early just so he can spend time with God. It's that big of a deal to him. Which, I mean, it makes sense when we look at the desire he has. The thirsting in a dry and thirsty land. The longing for him. And David acts on it. We also see in verse 2 in the past when he has acted on it. He says, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you. Verse 2, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. 
David, at the time of writing this, he's in the wilderness of Judah. You can actually see that in the top of your psalm. There's probably a little heading that says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He's running away from King Saul, fleeing for his life. And right now, he's kind of kicked out of Jerusalem. It would be rather unwise for him to go back. Probably quite dangerous. He can't go to the tabernacle. He can't go to worship God in the tabernacle where he's supposed to. But he's saying, God, I have done this. God, when I had the opportunity, when I had the chance, when I wasn't fleeing for my life in this wilderness, in this dry and thirsty land, I put the time in to go see you. I went to this sanctuary. I went to the tabernacle. I went to this place where you had ordained for knowing you, and I went there. And I didn't just go there to be there. I looked for you. David goes to this public worship, this public worship in Israel, to look for God. Not to look for sacrifices. Not even to look for sacrifices covering the sin. He didn't look for the priests. He didn't look to make sure that they were doing their job right. He didn't look for X, Y, Z. He looked for God. David, when he went to worship, he went to worship God. That was his focus. That was his priority. That's what he went for. And when he looked for God, he looked for his power and his glory, and he saw his power and his glory. He went to the tabernacle to worship God, and he got to know God. He says, I went. I looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. How great it is just to get a glimpse of God's power. How wonderful it is just to see a tiny fraction of God's glory. This is great glory. Think about this. Moses said, God, can I see you? And God said, no man can look upon me and live. I'll cover you in the rock. I'll go by. I'll take the rocks off. And you can see just the tiniest fraction of the tail end of my glory. And so he did that. And that tiniest fraction was so great, Moses shone for days. And David saw God's power, and he saw God's glory. And when we think about that, that's part of why he's desiring God now. We saw just a few weeks ago in 1 Peter about desiring the word, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. <coughs> David had tasted, and he wanted more. And that needs to be the echo of our hearts as well. As we see God, as we see his power, as we see his glory, as we know him, let us also, with David, long to know more. And really, how do you see your desires? I mean, I can't just like, go to the hospital and say, all right, uh, I don't want an x-ray, I want a desire ray today. <laughs> I can't just look at it and say, this is what your desires are. But there are ways that we see our desires, and that really is through how we spend our time. It's through what we do, it's through when we do it, and how much time we spend doing it. Let's say, I want to eat a hamburger. I can say, I really want to eat a hamburger, but then I can say, but I didn't eat the hamburger, even though I really wanted to. Doesn't that mean that I wasn't acting on my desires? What I did didn't show what I desired? No, it still shows what you desired. I didn't eat the hamburger because I have celiacs, and that'd be very bad for me. 
So I actually still have desire that I'm acting on. That desire is self-preservation. So we act on our desires still. Even sometimes when we think we're denying our desires, we're actually still acting just on a greater desire. So let me ask you, what does your time show that you desire? Does your time show that you are seeking God? If I were to look at your schedule for the day, the way that you spend the time, where you go, what you do, what you say, even if I could look at what you think, would I look at all this and would I say, man, this person is seeking God? Would that be what I would say? If not, it should be. You need to make your schedule for seeking God. And our seeking God shouldn't just be, again, when we can cram time in, it should be all the time. We seek God when we're spending time in the Word, when we're spending time in prayer. We can also seek God in other times. As I'm at work, I can seek God through trying to get in gospel conversations with my coworkers. I can seek to give him this praise and honor through evangelizing, through obedience, through submission to him. This really should be all the time. So as you desire God, what comes out of that naturally is seeking God. It's just the natural result of that desire. And as you seek God, there's something that comes naturally out of that as well. And that's where David goes to, and that's where I, David, will go to as well. It says, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. So as we desire God and as we seek God, the natural result is praising God. They all go together. If you're not praising God, it's probably because you're not seeking God, because you're not desiring God. And if you are desiring God, you will be seeking God, and you will end up praising God. So let's look at what David says here. He says, because your loving kindness is better than life. Stop for just a moment. God's loving kindness is better than life. That's, that's worth a lot. David looks at this and he says, God, I want you so much. I want to know you so much that I count your loving kindness of knowing that as more valuable than even living. He says, God, if I had two choices, I could either know your loving kindness, I could either know you, experience that, see that, and die, or never see that loving kindness and live, I would see it. And I would gladly see it. And it wouldn't even be a choice in my mind. I would see your loving kindness and I would die. It's that valuable to David. Again, it's this desire, this great importance that he places on God. This value that he places on God. And out of that, what does he say? He says, God, your loving kindness is better than life. I'd choose that and die. But God, I see this loving kindness and I'm still alive. So what am I going to do? I'm going to praise you with this life. He says, God, I want this loving kindness. It is this valuable to me. And I see this loving kindness and I'm alive. So my lips shall praise you. My mouth shall proclaim your wonders. My lips shall sing forth your praise. That's what happens 
when you seek God, when you count God as valuable, when you desire God, you praise him. You can't help it. It just bubbles out over the top. It's like a little teapot. You fill it up, you keep filling, eventually it spills over. As we fill our lives with God, it just spills over the edge in abundance of praise. And the more we prioritize God, the more praise there's going to be. If you barely make time for God, there's probably barely going to be praise. Your life really isn't going to be filled with praise to God. But if like David in this psalm, you rise early to seek him, you go to the sanctuary to see him, your life will abound with praise to God. May your lives abound with praise to God. May that be what people see when they see us. May they see lives, men and women, who abound with praise to God because we know our God, because we desire our God, because we seek after our God. He says, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. This blessing God while he lives, it's not just, God, I will bless you while I live, at least once a year for sure. It's not even once a month for sure. It's while he lives, it's all the time. As David is alive, so he will be praising God. As David has breath, he will use that breath to praise God. As David's heart is beating in his chest, so his heart will beat with fervor for the Lord. David will praise God all the time while he lives. It's a lifestyle. It's not just every once in a while. It's not just if I get around to it. It's while I live, every moment that I can, I want to be praising God. I will bless you while I live. And he says, I will lift up my hands in your name. It's not just David's going to walk around like all that all the time. That'd be kind of weird, I think. Running away from Saul in the wilderness with his hands up like that. He's not going to be doing that. But it's talking about going to God and spending time with God. Communing with God. Lifting up your hands in prayer. Raising your voice up to heaven and saying, God, I need to know you. God, you are great and wonderful. I want to praise you. It's talking about developing that relationship with God. And that's what David says he's going to do. And he's going to do it in God's name. He's not going to do it in his name. He's not going to do it for his name's sake. He's going to do it for God's name. For God's name's sake. He is doing this for the Lord out of desire to know the Lord. He is going to spend time with God as a lifestyle. So do you do that? Do you praise God as a lifestyle? Do you in your life, individually, personally, praise God as a lifestyle? Again, I would say I think we need to. We need to cultivate that desire. We need to act on that desire. We need to have this result of that desire. This praise to God. So how do you live a lifestyle of praise? Obviously, I can't walk around always shooting, shouting, Hallelujah! 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 I sound like a broken record after just a minute of doing that. But there are things that you can do regularly and persistently to have a lifestyle of praise. Let me suggest, this is prayer meeting, start your prayers with praise. Don't just go to prayer and say, 
God, thank you for this day. Here's my prayer request. Don't just say, God, thank you for this food we have on the table. Please bless it to us. Amen. But start your prayers thinking about God and praising him for who he is. And sometimes that can be daunting. I mean, it should be daunting. There's a lot of God to praise. (laughs) The omnipotent, omniscient, all-wise God. Again, there's a lot to praise. And you can't praise all of God every single prayer you have. We'd spend every prayer would be eternity, and we'd never get past the first one. But just think about something about God. Maybe something God has done in your life. Maybe something God has done in another person's life. Maybe something that you see in, in Scripture. Something that he's done in Scripture. Or maybe think about an attribute of God. A characteristic. Who he is. Think about his love or his mercy or his justice. And just take a few minutes when you pray. Start off and meditate on that out loud to God in prayer. Talk to God about who he is. Another way that you can live a lifestyle of praise would be when you're at work, recognize God's involvement in your work. When something happens that's really good, praise God. Not just, excuse me, coworkers, for a moment. Don't tell them what you do. Go to a corner. All right, I'm back. Praise God noticeably. Something happens, somebody gives you good news, say, praise the Lord. And then when something bad happens, say praise the Lord. When somebody gives you other news that maybe you wouldn't be so happy about, or maybe they're not so happy about, praise God anyway. Because he's still good. He's still sovereign. Circumstances don't change that. So praise him for that. Again, not quietly in a corner by yourself. Praise him noticeably. There's gospel opportunity in doing that. Praise God with your life. Now, I found an interesting statistic when I was looking at some things related to this. In a study of almost 3,000 people, and not just 3,000 secular people, 3,000 Protestant U.S. churchgoers, Baptist Press found that 90% desire to serve and honor Jesus with their lives. That's pretty good, right? 90% of these almost 3,000 people say, yes, I want to live my life for Jesus. I want to live my life for God. I desire to live for him. But then the study kept going. And it said, out of these 3,000 U.S. Protestant churchgoers, 19% said they read the Bible every single day. So 90% say, yes, I love to know God. I would love to serve him with my life. And only 19% said God is important enough to me to schedule time for him every single day. And I get it. Sometimes things happen. Like, things come up that we don't expect. Sometimes it's really, 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 really difficult to spend even two minutes in the Word. But is that your lifestyle? Is that your pattern? Is that your habit? Is your habit spending time with God, communing with him? Or is your habit not? Again, That's kind of telling about where your desires are. So let me ask you. If I did this survey, but instead of asking you, I asked the people around you whether you love God or not, what would they say? How would you do on that survey? If I ask your friends, your family, your coworkers, does this person love God? What would they say? Answer honestly. 
Would they say, I mean, I guess so. Would they say, hmm, I'm not really sure. Or would they say, yeah. It's kind of weird, actually. <laughs> they really do. So just think about that. How are you doing? Do you desire God? Let's close in prayer before we transition to more prayer requests. God, I thank you for your word. Again, I thank you that we can get to know you, that we can love you through your word. You have given this as a resource for us to know you. I pray that each person in this room would, one, be saved, two, have that desire to love you, to know you, then would seek you, and then as a result of that would praise you. Let us honor you even with our time in prayer requests this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.